Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. Let's get into things here. So about a month ago now, we started studying the Gospel of John. But since we're in this Advent season, we're also spending some time in Luke because Luke has details about Jesus' birth and the events leading up to his birth that the Gospel of John doesn't. However, we're still using the lens of the Gospel of John to look at all of these events that are taking place in Luke. And I know you all understood exactly what I just said, so I won't repeat it. So today we're going to look at three stories here from Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be looking for evidence that once again, Jesus is the word of God, right? Because that's how John introduces Jesus in John 1 verse 1 to 5. He is the word. He was with the word. He he was with God, or or the word was with God, right? So... We're going we're gonna to look at three, three stories here from Luke 1 today. Before we do that, though, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll start in at verse 26. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. And we, we give you credit, Lord Jesus, for, for causing us to be faithful. On our own, we're just not like that. On our own, we're selfish. On our own, we think of what we would rather do. But Jesus, clearly you have done work in the lives of all of us to compel us to say, no, I I want to be connected to the body of believers, the local church. And Jesus, thinking about that this week, I'm just more certain than ever that you love local churches. We we talk about the, the church universal or like the global church and all these things, but I think your heart beats for that group of believers that meets in small town America or in big city America or, or other places all over the world. But each and every individual congregation, Jesus, you love that congregation. And you've given something specific to this congregation, Jesus, to us here in Kandu. You have a call on us to be your hands and feet here in Kandu and Towner County. You have a call on us, Lord Jesus, to respond to you for the sake of this community. You have a call on us, Lord Jesus, to know you and love you so that the next generation of people being raised here in Kandu would know about you. And I'm excited, Lord, that you know uniquely the needs of our congregation and our community and that you want to speak to those things. I think, Lord Jesus, today in this message, in these stories that we're going to hear, we're going to see how you interact with people. And I pray that the, the stories that we hear would not cause us to think, oh yeah, that's how God used to do things. That's so cool that we get to read about how he used to interact with people in the Bible times. I pray that you would totally prevent us and block us from going there, but instead we would say, this is how my Lord wants to interact with me today in 2021. So Father God, would you please cause us to be receptive, cause us to be open, and help us to just... To cut out distractions, and if there's one thing, two things, three things from this message that you want us to dwell on, we just invite your Holy Spirit to impress those things on our hearts. Help us to write them down. Help us to meditate on those things and to to press into relationship with you yet again as we look at your word. Amen. All right. So three stories, like I say, and the the first one is going to come to us here from Luke 1 verse 26 to 38. It's a bit of a big chunk of scripture, so I'm going to read the whole thing, and we'll just talk about a couple of points. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be... May be May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Just an incredible story. No matter how many times we read it, angels, miraculous conceptions, all these kinds of things. I love this kind of stuff, right? So just to to get a couple of details in play here, we see the angel Gabriel again, just like we saw him a few weeks ago when he was visiting the priest Zechariah. Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to give birth to heaven, heavenly royalty, right? God's own son? Yes. And that God's going to cause this to happen in Mary even though she's a virgin. God can accomplish anything in anyone he chooses. His power is limitless and has no boundaries. It's, it's totally amazing that he would say, I'm going to do something the world has never seen. And it's easy for him to do. The part that, that stands out to me a little bit is, is Mary's response to all this news that would have likely seemed fairly overwhelming, right? She says, after she hears everything Gabriel says to her, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Isn't that the most perfect response to absolutely anything that God would ever ask or tell of us or, or something like that? I want to respond to God just like that in anything and everything he could ever ask me to do. Because I think Mary gets it perfect. I just want to say to God in those moments where you, you know, you have that little tug on your heart, you're out in public and you feel like, oh, am I supposed to talk to that person? Or am I supposed to pray about something right now, even though I have no reason to believe that that anyone else would be thinking about this or that I should be thinking about this besides the fact that God maybe laid this on my heart? And do we respond? Do we say, well, that could have just been me or like, that would be weird. Those people might look at me funny. Or do we say, Lord, I'm in. Whatever you have for me, that's what I'm willing to do. And then we step out in faith, right? That's what I want in my life. I just want God to know in all circumstances that I'm his willing servant. And that anything he could ask of me to do would never be too much. But I would, I would gladly say, of course, Jesus, if that's what you want, I want for your will to be done and nothing less. I love how Mary in her heart reveals that she was eager to obey. Not just like, well, I guess I don't really have a choice in the matter. She actually says, what you just said, I want it to happen. I love that, that attitude of eagerness. But in this familiar Advent story, in this passage that we just read, 
something caught my attention this time in a way that it hadn't before. And it's the word favor. Favor. In verse 28, Gabriel calls Mary highly favored. And in verse 30, Gabriel says, Mary, you have found favor with God. So being favored by God, it seems like a good thing. Would you agree? Yeah, Yeah, like, sure. God favors me, whatever that means. I think that's good, right? But we need to ask the question, what does it actually mean to be favored by God? And, And what are the implications and the significance of being favored by God? You know, sometimes we quickly read a passage like this, and we've, we've maybe heard this word favor before, and we quickly conclude that Mary must have been exceptional in some way, right? And because she lived such an exceptional life, that must have been the reason why she deserved God's favor. But I don't think that's how God's favor works. I mean, it hasn't worked that way ever in my life. And I know, I know you guys, and it hasn't worked that way in your life either. <laughs> in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, there's a verse that reveals a key characteristic of God's favor. So let's just take a peek at this verse here. It says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Okay. So grace was God's plan. That was his way of showing favor to us. And it was undeserved. It says here, all of humanity did not deserve what God's plan was for them, yet he did it anyway. Okay. So then if we understand that this is how God's grace and favor works here for all humanity, surely that would also apply to Mary Wright, right? That's the kind of favor that God wants to give to us. It's, it's favor that's free. It's favor that's out of his love for us, nothing out of what we have done for him. So the favor of God that Gabriel speaks over Mary is purely because of who God is and not because of who Mary is. Mary isn't favored by God because she was sinless or perfect or a better follower of God than anyone else. She's favored and a recipient of God's grace because of what God is doing in her and what God is doing for her. So both times when the word favor is used in verse 28 and 30, it implies that God is leaning towards us. He's extending himself into our lives because he loves us and he wants his blessings to be experienced by us and received by us. And just like God is leaning into Mary's life with love, blessing, and favor, he's leaning into your lives in the exact same way. This timeless, eternal God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what we're reading about in the way that he interacts and favors Mary is the way that he is choosing to interact and favor you. I'm not saying you're all going to become pregnant, but... That same favor that God would want to bless Mary with is what he wants to bless you and me with today. So I have a question, and I'm looking for some answers this morning. We haven't done this for a little while. I think it's good for us to share. I mean, we we heard the power of testimony last week, right? Wasn't last week incredible? Yeah, like it's so good, right? We heard the power of how people testifying about how God has worked in their life. It's like, oh man, I love this God even more than I already did, right? So we're going to just try to have some light duty testimony here. So my question is this, based on this whole favor principle and how we see God working, leaning into us, loving us, and all these kinds of things, 
What are some ways that God has shown you his favor? And what is something you have seen God do for you? For you. Not because of you doing something and God just could not help but respond with blessing, but purely out of his favor. What is something that you have seen God do for you? Kent. So good. What a great blessing. Thank you. Yeah, clearly that's God just loving on Kent. That's great. Anyone else? Can you, can you think of something? Something very simple it might be where God has blessed you or shown you his favor. Oh, Steve, lots of pressure. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful, Judy. Yeah, what, what an amazing blessing. It's like when we, when we hold our hands wide open and say, Lord, my life, I'm not, I'm not holding on to it. I just want what you want, right? And then there it goes. Like God's blessings just flow in. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being willing to, to be a little bit personal with us this morning. That's great. Anyone else have one that they would like to share? Just a, a time where you felt God's favor? On that line, it's just good that we get busy in life. And, uh, you know, I found Karen 800 miles away. and had no intentions of looking for somebody in Kansas. <laughs> and bringing her back here and actually staying, staying here in North Dakota. And then having a family. Hmm. You just get busy and you just take for granted. But God definitely had a hand in all of us. Yeah. Hindsight is amazing, isn't it, Bruce? Like we look back at the entirety of our lives, and yeah, sure, there's ups and downs and bumps and bruises, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's like, whoa, I don't know how I could have drawn this up any better. Clearly, God's hand was in this, right? That's that's good. I, I have a couple. Just it's so weird. Like we love candy, we love everything about this town, but you know, there still are ups and downs that happen here, right? And and twice. In the last two weeks, I've had nothing to be alarmed about, but just a little run-in with someone where, where they spoke kind of harshly to me. None of them are from our church, by the way, just so you know. Uh, and, and just someone, I don't know if they were in a bad mood or if, or if they, I don't know, if they just heard something about me that they didn't like and they wanted to let me know or whatever. But in both cases, I was quite taken aback. And it's, it's so weird. I thought about 
who or how I would have responded, you know, 15 or 20 years ago when, when I, was, I was known for being a hothead and, and things like that. If someone would have dished out to me, I would have just given it right back to them and made sure that they knew, you know, that they had a place and I was going to put them in it. But I was just so grateful that God had worked in my heart all those years ago and that now when people say things that, you know, I, I may have reacted poorly to, my first thought, and I just, I can't take any credit for this, but my first thought is, I think of scripture that speaks exactly to that situation. And it's like the Holy Spirit. It's just like what Jesus says about him in John 14, the Holy Spirit. I'm sending him to teach you and to remind you of what is right. And it's like, oh yeah, look at that. There you go again. Thank you so much, Jesus. I'm not mature enough to handle this on my own, but with your Holy Spirit, you just blessed me and gave me your favor, and I can, I can walk through these things in, in with such better uh, character than I would have a long time ago. So I love that, yeah. So we're seeing God's favor clearly this morning, and we see that it's not just a merry experience, but we are experiencing it today. I love that. So my next question is this. By seeing God's favor and knowing that he clearly loves us, how could this change the way that we respond to God? Or does this change the way that we respond to God? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Ron. Yeah. 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 It's like in those little things, you, you just recognize his sovereignty, right? Yeah. I, I love that. Thank you, Ron. Anyone else? Kent. Yeah. Yeah, love that desire that, that shows up. It's like, wow, if Jesus is like this all the time, I want more of him. That's good. Anyone else? Any other thoughts? Like, how would it change seeing Jesus love and be so, you know, full of blessings and favor towards us? How else would it change the way that you view him or respond to him? Anyone else? Praise. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, Karen. Melissa, did I see your hand up? Yeah. Yeah. His kindness leads us to repentance, right? That's great. Yeah, for me too, like along all these lines, when I see Jesus acting on on my behalf or in, in my favor, it gives me such confidence in him. My trust in him goes up. My, my faith is, 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 you know, buoyed for sure. And I, I think to myself, oh, of course, I could trust God with anything. Like, why would I ever hesitate, right? And, and God, when he does these things for us, he's drawing us to himself. He just wants, hey, do you see what I'm doing? Like, do you see how much I love you? Like, you don't even understand 
It's like it says that in Scripture, right? It does. His love is so great that we will never fully understand it, yet we can experience it through this kind of a thing. So I think this is great. And I kind of thought to myself too this week, isn't this undeserved favor of God? Isn't this the heart of the entire gospel? Like I think it is, right? The gospel is this, in a nutshell. We receive grace and forgiveness from God that we do not deserve. And it's his goodness and mercy that extend into our lives never the other way around. We never go to God and he says, okay, finally, once now that you've turned to me, I'm willing to do a couple of things for you. God's always the initiator. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith. He does that work in us, right? The gospel is all about what God has done when we literally had nothing to offer to him or to reciprocate with him. And in the way that God favors Mary and does something miraculous in her by causing her to become pregnant with Jesus, we see a foreshadowing of the gospel. The act of God's grace shows us that this is what he consistently is like towards his creation. And just like we need to believe and receive the good news of the gospel, Mary believed and received God's will for her life. So it's just beautiful what we're seeing here in this story. So that's all we want to, t- we want to highlight from, from that chunk of scripture. There's two others that we want to get to, though, this morning. So the second one is just a little further down in Luke 1, verse 39 to 45. Next story starts like this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is literally one of my favorite passages in the Bible. So here's the first question that I want to I present to us just to ponder a little bit this morning. Why did John, so remember, this is John the Baptist that Elizabeth is pregnant with. We read about this in our first part of this Gospel of John series. Why did John leap in Elizabeth's womb? Because that was the first, that was the, uh, the, the favor that we see here in this story. This is part of what the angel Gabriel had said, right? That, that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we read about in that first section of Luke three weeks ago. So John, as a, as an, as a pre-born baby, is already filled with the Holy Spirit. And he leaps for joy, we find out, because one of the gifts or the fruits of the Spirit, sorry, is joy, right? The Spirit fills us with love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. But, but joy is one of those. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 talks about that. So think about this event. Here's Elizabeth, pregnant, six months pregnant with John, the forerunner to the Messiah. And now here's Mary showing up, just given news that she as well is going to be pregnant with the Messiah of the world, and clearly is already. So this is the first time that John the forerunner and Jesus the Messiah are in the same room at the same time, and they're not even born yet. But because there's such significance, and clearly God has, has spoken his favor onto both of their parents and given them a prophetic purpose in each of their lives, they both are already 
communicating through their mothers to one another. And there's something going on that John says, oh my goodness, Jesus is here. I heard his mother's greeting and now I'm going to leap for joy because I love it that he's here. On top of this, on top of this leaping for joy in the womb, which is already just incredible, right? And, and clearly a sign that God is, is all about this situation. As if that weren't enough, Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. So John was filled before he was born, but here Elizabeth is filled in the moment. So what does it mean again? We've talked about this a bit, but what does it mean again to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that in that moment, Elizabeth is filled with God's presence. God's Holy Spirit comes in her and over her and overwhelms her. And it gives her a unique ability to, that she did not possess just a moment ago. In this case, the unique ability is the knowledge or understanding of something that she had no knowledge of previously. So here's the question. Mary shows up. She speaks. John leaps for joy. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She's about to speak some things that she didn't know anything about just a moment ago. Why would God do that? Why would God want to give her knowledge of something that she had no knowledge of? It's very simple, actually. Because God wants to bring glory to himself through Elizabeth after he fills her with the Holy Spirit. Everything that she's about to say is pointing her and Mary to Jesus or to God, right? So everything that is about to happen is going to be a confirmation and glory to God that God reveals to Elizabeth to speak. So let's go through what Elizabeth actually says in this passage just piece by piece, and we're going to see exactly how amazing this is. So starting at verse 42, it said, In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Okay, so this message means, Mary, God has blessed you more than any other woman. And now how would Elizabeth know that God has blessed Mary more than any other woman? Referring to the fact that Mary is pregnant. Mary hasn't told her that she's pregnant. Okay, she just showed up and, and gave a greeting. So she just said hello, and all of a sudden, leaping for joy in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, and Elizabeth starts saying, blessed are you among women. Mary herself has just found out that from the angel Gabriel that she's pregnant. So she's not, she hasn't developed that baby bump quite yet. And on top of that, she's also an unmarried virgin. So she's not exactly going to be advertising the fact that she's pregnant because that was not at all acceptable in that culture at that time. So explain this to me, right? How did Elizabeth know this? Clearly, God revealed it to her. He gave her knowledge about Mary's pregnancy where she had no other reason to know it except that God spoke it to her. Second thing that Elizabeth says is, and blessed is the child you will bear. Okay, so it's one thing to say, hey, you're pregnant, awesome, whatever, right? But then she says, blessed is the child that you will bear. So this is going deeper. This is going further. The child that Mary is going to give birth to is special and blessed. This isn't just any ordinary child. Again, how would Elizabeth know the significance of the baby that Mary is pregnant with. God revealed it to her. Verse 43. And then she says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Mary isn't just pregnant with a baby that is blessed, 
But Mary is pregnant with the Lord Jesus. Again, God revealed those facts to Elizabeth. Verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth interprets her baby's movement as no ordinary movement or kick or whatever babies do when they're yet to be born. But she understands that it is a leap for joy. Again, God revealed it to, to Elizabeth when he filled her with the Holy Spirit. She understood, whoa, this is different. I'm feeling something different here. And then finally, verse 45. And she says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This one actually knocks me down the most. Like, this is incredible. How does Elizabeth know that Mary had to believe any promise from God? How did Elizabeth know that? Once again, Mary has just greeted her. That's all she said. So again, God has revealed it to Elizabeth through his Holy Spirit. All of the things that Mary has already been experiencing that Elizabeth would have never known unless the Lord spoke it to her. The more we recognize the way that the Holy Spirit works in this story between Mary and Elizabeth, the more we can understand that he desires to work in you and me. He does desire to work like this in us, friends. Here we see that the Holy Spirit is working the lives of these people, and it produces joy in the unborn John the Baptist. That's incredible. There's a word of knowledge in Elizabeth about things that she would never know otherwise, and a testimony from Elizabeth that this baby that Mary is pregnant with is Jesus the Lord. All this is a confirmation, isn't it? Put yourself in the shoes of Zechariah and Elizabeth, in the shoes of Mary and Joseph. These are the people that we've heard the most about and and how the angel visited them and told them these things. And now they're beginning to experience some of these things. It's very possible that they may have thought, like most of us think at different times, did that really happen? Is all of this really true? Or is it just a coincidence? Did we really hear what we thought we heard this angel say? Was that really an angel or did I nod off? Because, man, sometimes those, those incense burning ceremonies take a long time. I don't know. Like, maybe that's what they were thinking. Maybe they were, caught, they were starting to doubt. Doubt is something that our enemy, the devil, uses to steer us away from following God's promises. In John 8, verse 44, it says this. Jesus described what the devil is like when he says, He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is the liar and the father of lies. So this is Jesus' description of Satan. A liar is someone who takes us away from the truth by any means possible. God speaks the truth to us, and Satan tries to steal away that truth by lying to us. Think, of all, the, uh, think all the way back to the first time that we see Satan or the devil in the Bible, right? He appears in the form of a serpent to Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3 verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other or any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see that? He's causing doubt. He's planting doubt. He's bringing about a lie. There he is, trying to move Eve away from God's goodness, from his promises, from the safety of, his, of obeying him and following his commands, right? 
So this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth and these yet-to-be-born babies is an indication that what God said about all these events through Gabriel is indeed true. God blesses us with confirmation so that we will follow him. And I believe that's what's going on here. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes hold people up in the Bible on like an unnecessarily high pedestal. But we have to remember that they were regular people like you and me. They were susceptible to doubts, to fears, to worry, to all these kinds of things. They were susceptible to, to believing lies that Satan may have planted in their hearts. And God loves them in the same way that he loves us. So he's going to say, okay... Just so that we don't get derailed, just so that we don't start to not believe, I'm going to do an amazing thing. When you guys get together, I'm just going to reveal all of this to Elizabeth without Mary ever saying it. And this is going to be my confirmation so that my promise to you will still be believed and I am going to raise up or boost your faith in this whole thing. So God is good. We can clearly see that. We can see that God is good and he willingly gives confirmation to us so that our faith in him and our ability to obey him will be reinforced. Near the beginning of 2017, I was getting a, a sense, a growing desire in my heart to move on from being a youth pastor to becoming a lead pastor. And I, I sensed that this was definitely from God. I had been praying for this for a while, and over time God gave me a confirmation that this desire I had to be a lead pastor was indeed from Him. So here's an entry from my prayer journal on February 23rd, 2017. This is word for word. I haven't changed anything here. So that morning, I prayed this. Father God, Len, so Len was an elder at the church where I was a youth pastor. Len said last night that someday I'll be a pastor. He's the third person to say that to me this month. Lord, I trust you with my future and with the ways in which you are leading me. I know that your plans for me are good, and I'm excited to follow you always. The thought of, of being a lead pastor at a church both invigorates me and terrifies me, to be honest. Jesus, please work in my life that I may be prepared for the works you have in store for me. I ask that I would be faithful with the tasks of today so that you would bless me and prepare me for the tasks of tomorrow. I needed that confirmation. You know, perhaps I wouldn't have had the courage to respond to a church in Kandu, North Dakota, that was willing to have me come be their pastor if God hadn't given me that confirmation of his will for my life back in February of 2017. You see how God is so good to us, friends? Like, isn't it just marvelous? Like, when we spend time with him, when we give him time and say, Jesus, this is what's going on in my heart. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. He hears our prayers. And he knows because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. When we're, when we're concerned about life, maybe Mary and Elizabeth were like, oh boy, yeah, I'm pregnant and, and things are happening, but I have no idea what's going to happen when our, when our baby boys are born. Maybe that's what their concern was. And maybe in that moment, Jesus said, or God said, okay, I see your worry. And I'm going to raise you uh, a miraculous, spirit-filled experience where you're going to say, okay, I see you, God. Thank you. You are confirming in me your good and perfect will. Final story here from Luke 1 is from verse 57 to 66. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. 
On the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to come out to come or to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Okay, so now we get to see this is kind of the conclusion of the story that we started out with a few weeks ago, right? When we first heard about Zechariah, the angel Gabriel had told him that in their old age, he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son and that he would go ahead of the Messiah as a forerunner. Zechariah questioned the angel saying, well, how can I be sure of this? And in response, Gabriel told Zechariah that he wouldn't be able to speak until the day that this happens. And now Zechariah obediently names this miracle baby John, and immediately he is able to speak again, right? So we see it from start to finish. And the first thing that comes out of Zechariah's mouth is praise. That's something that we already said today. We, we, we praise God because we see what he has done for us. Everything that the angel Gabriel said would happen, did happen. And this is a prophecy from God being fulfilled right before their eyes. And in their town, all these people say, whoa. This is the God of our people, and this is what we see him doing. Clearly, his hand is on this baby, and they wondered about God. They were in awe of him that day. When God reveals himself through unexplainable events, supernatural events, it's a, it's a good reason to get excited and to wonder about him. So let's wrap a few things up here. Jesus isn't even born yet, and look at all the work we see so clearly that God is willing to do in these three stories that we've looked at today. All of the details of these events are incredible. Every single one of them clearly has God's hand on it. There's an angelic visit predicting Jesus' birth, a baby leaping for joy in its mother's womb, Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking about things that she had no knowledge of a moment ago, and a man's voice is heard for the first time in over nine months, and and he begins speaking praise and adoration for God. What's going on here? Right? Like, if people heard about these events in those days, they would say, like, what's going on? Imagine if in Kandu all these things started happening, we would be wondering, Lord... What are you up to? We see you here. We see you there. Everywhere we look, there's something amazing and miraculous going on. What are you up to? We're just in awe of you in this moment. I think it's that God's revealing himself to us more and more. And he's inviting us to seek him with our whole heart. He's inviting us to see him and turn to him with awe and wonder and say, truly there is a God who is alive. He is the one true God and there is no one greater than him. Three big takeaways for me from these stories. First, through Mary we learn that God's favor isn't something that we can earn, but when we respond positively to God's eagerness to work in us and through us, he generously lavishes his favor on us. He leans in our direction and shares himself with you and me. Second, we see that the way in which God works through his Holy Spirit, he chooses to fill people with himself so that they will speak truth 
and knowledge about him that is good for all who hear it. He creates wonder and curiosity about him and others through people that are devoted to him. That's what God wants to do in you and me today as well. And the third takeaway is, in all three connected stories today, the miraculous events that take place can only be explained by acknowledging our supernatural God. He caused all these otherwise unexplainable things to happen so that in just a short while, when Jesus would be born, we would know with full confidence that Jesus is no ordinary child. He is Emmanuel, God with us. As I was thinking about these stories this week and just kind of reflecting on everything that was hitting me, each of them kind of felt like a red carpet to me. Let me explain here. When we see a red carpet, we know that it's laid out for someone important, right? Someone we may want to take note of. Someone who is going to be showing up and walking down this carpet. Now, just like a red carpet is a sign that someone important is coming, all of these events are a sign that Jesus is coming. The Son of God is set to arrive very soon. And it begs the question, if anyone was paying attention to these events and saying, whoa, I think I see some dots being connected here, naturally they're going to ask themselves, am I ready? Do I believe in what I see? And will I receive everything that God has for me in sending his son Jesus to earth. So I ask you the question, do you realize that things will never be the same once Jesus gets here? Long ago, the father caused all these things to happen to get people talking and wondering and thinking about him. He loves people so much. He just wants us to know him. And that's the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth. Just like John said, to help us know the father. Before we sing, Karen, if you come up and, and start the intro to the song, that would be awesome. Before we sing to close our service, I think we need to spend just individual time praying for just a few moments. Because when we hear these things, it's, it's easy to say, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, I never heard that before. Okay, great. Now let's go for lunch, right? But I think it's okay for us to stop and just ponder for ourselves what this means, the significance of this for you, for your relationship with Jesus. So here's, here's just a thing, a few things. If you're not really sure how to ponder on your own or if this is new to you and you're not really sure where to go with this time of prayer, here's some things that you could do. You could ask Jesus to give you a renewed and a heightened wonder and awe for him today. Maybe you've been walking with him for a long time and things have grown cold. And you say, Jesus, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe you need help and you need to ask Jesus, help me to be excited and amazed and intrigued by your plans at work in the life of Jesus. Maybe you need to pray that we wouldn't go through life with a bland reaction to God, but that we would be aroused in our desire and hunger to experience the fullness of everything that Jesus has for us. So pray and ponder and wonder about these things with Jesus right now, friends.
about Jesus, I'm, I'm nervous about the word revival because we've seen revivals come and go and areas of our country get excited and then it fades away and then a generation later, people don't even remember. But Jesus, when you bring renewal, when you do a transformative work inside of our hearts, Jesus, that's the kind of stuff that lasts. So Jesus, what we're praying for in this moment right now as we look at these three amazing stories from Luke 1, we just pray, Father God, that you would renew us. Bring renewal to our hearts. Make us new in the way that we think about you, in the way that we feel about you, in the way that we love you and respond to your love for us. Jesus, I pray that our lives would not be closed off or nervous about your favor, but instead we would say, Jesus, everything that I read about today, that is exactly what I want. That's exactly what we need. We can't live without you. This Christian existence doesn't make sense if we keep you at arm's length. So Jesus, as your church, we just invite you in. Friends, if you want to receive more, would you just, as a sign of openness and, and submission to Jesus, would you hold your hands out in front of you? Just hold them open. Father God, we pray that through the openness in our hearts right now, you would fill us. We're not afraid. And if we are Jesus, we don't have a reason to be. So we invite you in. Fill us like you did Elizabeth. Give us knowledge. Give us understanding of things that we wouldn't have known unless we had your favor in our lives. And I pray that Jesus, as you fill us, we would respond like Mary did. Everything that you said, may it be done to me, for I am the Lord's servant.